Hello everyone, I'm Hadley. And I'm Emily. And welcome back to another episode of Dark Damned and Disturbed. Welcome everyone. We're going to start this episode off on a little bit of a low note. Um, Our beloved crew member, (laughs) Rachel the Roach, (laughs) is no longer with us. She made another guest appearance today in the room that Emily records in just a few minutes ago. And (laughs) she has since been brutally murdered via a broom. (laughs) So... (laughs) We're going to take a small moment because this, this because is tragic for us. We, we can only imagine how tragic it is for you guys as well. It's been a saga having her involved in this, but we're going to take us have a small moment of silence for Rachel the Roach. In the arms of angels fly away from here. In the arms of the angels. Okay, we're gonna get copyrighted. You're copyright infringement stuff. I do not own any rights to that song. This is the second time we've tried to do this, and the first time Emily sang the incorrect song because she thought with that arms wide right open. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> we are here to talk about an actual tragic thing that happened. That it really happened to real life humans, not just Rachel the Roach. <laughs> but thank you guys for bearing with us with our small moment of silence to remember Rachel the Roach. Rest in peace we to might, our we fellow cast member. Yeah, we might. We may or may not make a little IG post about her. You know, rest I in peace. I think pieces. we should. We probably will. So, in a more serious note, today we're covering the Monster of Florence. I'm very excited. This one, this one's like, uh, this is honestly one of the most interesting ones I've ever done. Any, like, I don't think I've ever heard it covered on another, excuse me, on another podcast, but I do want to preface this with, this is in Italy, like Florence, Italy. Um, I do not speak Italian. I speak a little bit of Spanish. And while they're similar, I'm going to do my best to pronounce these names. I did phonetically spell all of them out. She was practicing in the car on the way home. Literally. And I was hitting it. Correct. I was beating Google Translate to saying it. (laughs) And it was correct every time. But there are 14 victims in total. And then there's numerous suspects and different people involved. So there's a lot of names. Once again, I don't speak Italian as a first language. So please bear with me. Um, the emphasis where you put the emphasis on different letters is different than Spanish. So, um, yeah. But so, like I said, this case is taking us to one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life, Florence, Italy. And if you have not been, you have to go, but please don't get murdered while you're there. Um, it's, I can't put into words how beautiful it is. If you know me personally, just go look in my Facebook page on the Europe album, you can find pictures of it. It's beautiful there. So we're going to jump on in. This case, fun fact, was actually the inspiration for Thomas Harris's novel Hannibal in 1999. And this case itself happens between 1968 and 1985. In a small town just to the west of Florence, a young boy who was six years old was sleeping in the backseat of a car when he woke up in the middle of the night 
It was roughly 2 a.m., and he walks almost two kilometers, which is roughly one and a quarter miles for us Americans. And he shows up at this house, and he knocks on the door, and he tells the landlord, open the door and let me in. I'm sleepy, and my daddy is sick in bed. Then you have to drive me home because my mother and uncle are dead in their car. What? I don't even know what I would do at 2 o'clock in the morning. First of all, if a kid knocks on my door, that's a red flag for me. Um, But then especially 2 o'clock in the morning, and then you want to drop the bomb that your mom and uncle are dead in a car. You can't call the police, sir? It's uh, 1968, so he just like, I guess, I'm assuming this guy did call the police, but August 21st, 1968, which August 21st is my mom's birthday, so shout out Jillian. Leo season. Antonio Lobiano was 29 years old, and he was a mason worker, and Barbara Lochi, 32 years old, she was a homemaker. The two of them were shot to death with a 22 Beretta in Senia, which is a small town to the west of Florence. Um, Natalino was the son of Barbara, and when the police later questioned him, they asked him, you know, how were you able to walk two kilometers in the middle of the night? And the road that he was walking down was unpaved and it was a country road. So it was not well lit or anything. And so he was really just out walking in the Italian countryside at two in the morning. And initially he said that he just ran off by himself. But later he changed his story and said either his father or uncle had given him a ride to where he asked for help. But years later, he has still stuck. He stuck with that same story. The I was by myself. I just walked. And he claimed that he was too shocked to remember all the details of that night, which I will cut him some slack. He was six years old. He was sleeping and he could have possibly witnessed two people get murdered. So going to give him a break. Trauma. <clears throat> so Barbara was from a local town. It was from Sardinia. And word on the street was our girl Barbara had numerous lovers and her love life had gotten her the nickname Ape Regina which means Queen Bee. Okay, then. So a Beyonce before Beyonce kind of thing? I don't know. Pre-Beyonce. Um, Pre-Beyonce. So her husband was Stefano Mele, and he was an older man, and he actually ended up being charged with the murders, and he spent six years in prison. But once he went to jail, more people started dying from the same type of gun that had killed Barbara and Antonio. And plus, rumors were flying all around the area that it was actually one of Barbara's many lovers that had killed her and Antonio that night. Even Stefano said said numerous times that he thought it was one of her lovers, like it wasn't him. So then there's a pretty large gap between Barbara and, and Antonio and the next victims. So on September 15th, 1974, so it's been like six years, Pasquale Genticore, once again, I don't speak Italian. Bear with me. Was He was 19 years old, and he was a barman. And Stefania Pettini was, an 18, was 18, and she was an accountant. And they were teenage sweethearts, which Aww. is a theme that you will find with most of these. Um, they were also in a vehicle. They were in Pasquale's Fiat 127, and they were out on a country road near Borgo San Lorenzo. And they were doing grown folk things. And they were shot to death and stabbed. They weren't far from a teen disco club, which, like, I just love that. A teen disco club. Sign me up. 
and they were actually supposed to be there that night spending time with friends, but Stefania's corpse had been violated with a grapevine stalk and was disfigured and had 97 stab wounds. Oh my so gosh. I, she did not make it to hanging out with her friends. I don't know if they were, if they started there and then they left or if they like never showed up at all, but yeah. So just hours before her death, she was talking to one of her good friends and told her good friend about a weird guy that had been terrifying her. Apparently there was a strange man that had been following her and a friend earlier during the day. Um, her friend was like giving her driving lessons and he was also bothering them like while they were just like out doing that. And the area where they were parked, it was kind of known as like a lover's lane type thing. And numerous couples, there were numerous couples that had been murdered in that place. And it was frequented by voyeurs, which if you don't know what a voyeur is, it's somebody who likes to watch other people do grown folk things. So yet again, we have a pretty decent chunk of time between them and the next victims. So the next murders were June 6th, 1981. And, you know, once again, like this whole case is just one big trigger warning. There's a lot of like postmortem mutilation that happens. So pretty just vague trigger warning for the whole episode because um, they're all pretty much the same. So Giovanni Foggi, who was 26 years, who's a 26 year old warehouseman and Carmela Denuccio, she was 21 years old and she was a shop assistant and they were both, they were engaged to be married. They were shot to death and stabbed near Scandici, and that is where they both lived at the time. Carmela's body was pulled out of the car, and the killer, trigger warning, cut out her pubic region with a notched knife. And this one was a little bit odd because of what he had done to Carmela, but this one's also unique because a voyeur, who is actually a paramedic named Enzo Spalletti, was 30, he was 30 years old. He was talking about their dead bodies the next morning before they had even been found. Uh-oh. Which is pretty sus. Um, so police are like, hey, Enzo, um, it's a little weird that you're like out and about talking about these dead bodies. So yeah, we're going to go ahead and arrest you and charge you with the murder of these two. And he did spend three months in jail, but was ultimately released because the murderer did in fact kill again. So mm-hmm. October 23rd, 1981, Stefano Baldi, a 26 year old workman and Susanna Camby, Camby, sorry, Camby was a 24 year old telephonist and they were engaged to be married, which also her job as a telephonist, she's basically just someone that like worked a switchboard. So I thought that was kind of cool. They too were shot to death and stabbed in a park near Colenzano. Susanna's pub- pubic area was also cut out. And this is, this is so creepy to me. I j- this one, there's a couple of these that I'm like, Ugh, and this is one of them. An anonymous person called her mom the morning after she was murdered and talked to her about her daughter. Like what? Like, what about her? I don't know. But a few days before the murder, Susanna had told her mom that someone was tormenting her and that they had also been chasing her car. 
So I'm going to really quickly um, step up on a soapbox for a few minutes here. We're just going to have to deal with me bantering. Um, obviously, things are escalating here. They're getting weirder and weirder. And we're going to say this time and time and time and time again. There's something about this whole thing. Once again, if you see something, say something. Really, like that's what this Please. all comes down to. But this is what's so creepy to me. There's something that is just when a crime happens that is random, my brain is able to compute that as like it was just like a matter of like chance. Like there's nothing you could have done to prevent it. There's nothing you could have done to stop it. Like nothing. So for me, when it's just like someone random, it's almost like my brain computes it easier. But this, this man was literally following these people. He was like tracking them. He was following them in their cars. He was seen like following them in public. That to me is just a whole different level because there were numerous people who saw something. The, the, even the victims themselves, they were telling their friends, they were telling their families like, oh my God, I had this really weird altercation. I noticed this guy was following us. He was kind of a jerk, like whatever. And it just doesn't, something about that doesn't sit right to, with me. It just like irks me to my core. And to think that someone was following you and watching you for possibly days on end, it just really freaks me out. And to make it even worse in this time frame, which is like the 60s to 80s, you didn't have to be as vigilant then as you do now. And people were a lot more carefree. And I feel like the crimes that happened in that era specifically are the reason that we are so like vigilant in modern society. Hitchhiking, sure. stuff like that was all super common during this time period, which none of these people did hitchhike, which is, you know, that's not really pertinent here. But like people who hitchhike, when you listen to like the truck stop killer and like, all you know, you're, you become a target for a certain demographic of people and it is so unsafe. So basically please be vigilant. Please be aware of your surroundings. Tell your family, tell your friends, call police. If you think you're being watched, talk to somebody, tell someone, get a, get as good of a description of the person as you can now that we have more modern technology, like try to get a picture of them if you can. And I know I'm personally really bad about this. If you are out in public and you have your headphones in, like your AirPods, whatever, take one AirPod out. Or if you're like me, I have the pros and they have noise canceling. I always try to make sure my noise canceling's off when I'm like out and about in public. I have it on when I'm in the gym, but if I'm at like Target or TJ Maxx or the commissary or something, I always cut my noise canceling off because if my noise cancel is on, I'm not going to hear somebody run up behind me. I'm not going to hear somebody following me. So nope. just please, it's not weird anymore to have your friends and family like track you on Find My Friends on Life 360. It is just about safety. So please, 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 these super small things can really like save your life. Because we like my whole family, like we all follow each other on Find My Friends and constantly like when we're traveling... I'm constantly sending my location and being like, hey, this is what's going on. If I ever get in an Uber, a taxi, anything, I send a description of what I'm wearing. I send a picture of what I what I have on, my shoes, my bags, everything to my friends, to my family, because the people that can track me, if something were to happen to me, they could give all of that to the police and be like, yep, she was last seen in this shirt. She had a pink backpack. She had her AirPods. She was wearing her Chacos because that's usually what I'm wearing. You know, those super small things can genuinely save your life. So I'm going to step off my soapbox now. <laughs> but please, for real guys, stay vigilant and do what you can to protect yourselves. Just 
keep your head like just be aware of your surroundings yeah the next victims were killed on june 19th 1982 and they were paolo minardi a 22 you said it you said it really good earlier Paolo Minardi. <laughs> oh, like, there you go. Uh, translate lady. Uh, he's a 22-year-old mechanic and Antonella Millerini, a 20-year-old dressmaker. They were also engaged to be married and they were actually nicknamed after an Italian brand of super glue because they were inseparable. That's so cute. Yes. And I should have texted you the article that I used because the article that I used for almost all of this had all of their pictures so you could see all of them. They were all just like very cute, like young couples. And the fact that they all, a couple of them had like little nicknames and, you know, they were like high school sweethearts. It just makes it more sad. But just like others were doing, they too were shot just after they got done doing some grown folk things in Paolo's car. And they were on a provincial road in a town just outside of town in Montespitoli. Monte Spitoli. I think I'm saying that. I have it phonetically spelled out, but I'm still like, it's not clicking. It's whatever. With these murders, the killer was not able to do anything to mutilate the bodies like he had done with the previous women because he didn't have time. Where they were, there was a lot of traffic. There were cars going by. People were like witnessing things. And so he did not get to finish doing what he fully intended to do. And several people had actually driven by that night and they testified that they saw the car with the interior light on and the car was parked just on the side of the road. And by the time police got there, Paolo, by the grace of God, was somehow still alive. Um, Ambulances rushed to the scene, but unfortunately he did pass away a few hours later at the hospital. And police think that Paolo possibly heard or saw the man coming and tried to speed away, but that he lost control of the car and they crashed into the ditch on the opposite side of the road. And there was also a theory that the shooter actually drove the car himself in an attempt to like, he was going to go hide the bodies in the woods, but that he also lost control and wrecked in the ditch and abandoned the car. Um, Either way, it's awful, but personally, I feel like it was maybe the first one. That's just what my gut's telling me is it seems like Paolo maybe saw him and tried to drive away. But was Paolo like conscious, able to talk or no, no I don't think so. Cause had he been, they probably would able to get at least some type of a description yeah. out of him. But from what I could find, they didn't get any kind of description. Um, so the next two victims, these, there are a couple of victims here that they are, there's some that are German and some that are French. I most definitely don't speak German or French. So <laughs> once again, I spelled them alphabetically, but just bear with me. Um, So the next two victims were actually two young men and they were both from Germany and their names were Wilhelm Friedrich Postmeier. So if I said that wrong, I am sincerely sorry. Yeah. He was, yeah. And he was 24. I'm really proud of you right now. And Yin Wu Rush. I also had to like make myself notes and like my phonetic spelling. Like you pronounce this like. I was gonna say this. spell it for me. How do you spe- how do you spell it? It's R with the U with the two little dots above it. S C H. So it's Rush. The U the U is U. It's like it's it's Rush. It's Your girl took German class. Rush. I know a little bit of German, but not enough to. And I know just I know just enough French to tell you that I don't speak French. I speak English. And so anyway. They were actually 
in Italy celebrating Wilhelm getting a scholarship and they were both seniors studying fine art at some very fancy German place that I was not even going to attempt to pronounce. So I just opted to leave it out. Um, and they were shot to death in a Volkswagen Samba bus in Galuzzo. They think what happened with this is that Yin was Yin was a smaller, just like a smaller human being and had super long blonde hair. And so they think that the killer possibly thought that Yen was a woman and police did find some pornographic materials at the scene, which led them to believe that they were possibly romantically involved with each other, but it was never confirmed. And then on July 29th, 1984, so it's been about 10 months since Wilhelm and Yen, Claudio, Claudio Stefanocci was a 21-year-old law student, and Pia Gilda Rotini was an 18-year-old barmaid and a cheerleader, and just like many of the others, they were sweethearts and they were in love. They were shot to death and stabbed in Claudio's Fiat Panda in a woodland area near Ivicchio. Like he had done with the other previous female victims, he also removed her pubic region, but this time, this one's also very odd, trigger warning, he removed her left breast, which is both traumatic and odd because he's never done this with any of the other female victims. But like many of the other victims, Pia did tell her friends that she had dealt with an unpleasant man at the bar she worked at. And apparently witnesses did see a man following them from like when they left the ice cream parlor that they had been at earlier that evening. They did not know they were being followed that night, but had that person said something to like the shop owner or maybe like called the police or whatever, like who knows how this would have ended. Um, once again, if you see something, say something. And now we are on to the final victims, which took place around like September 7th or 8th in 1985. So a little over a year later. And these are the ones that are from France. So once again, please bear with me. I did phonetically spell these out, but I don't know that I'm going to ace it. Um, Jean-Michel Cravichely was a 25-year-old musician and Nadine Marieu. They were from France and they were camping in a woodland area near San Cassiano. They were lovers just like all of our other victims and Nadine was shot to death and stabbed while sleeping in their small tent and John was killed a little ways away from the tent because he managed to escape and was trying to run but he didn't make it very far before being shot down. And once again, mutilation was done to Nadine. Um, they removed her pubic region as well as one of her breasts, which I'm not sure why they started taking one of the female's breasts. Like it's just weird to kind of have this MO shift so late with in the crimes. But <sighs> the issue with this case is that they're foreigners. So it took a lot longer for missing persons reports to be filed. And the killer is a literal freaking psychopath because just like the one earlier where they like called the mom, this is just as creepy. He mailed a freaking letter to the state prosecutor's office, a taunting note. And along with that note, he sent a piece of her breast. And in that letter, he told them that a murder, a murder had taken place and that he was challenging the police to try to find the victims. And someone did find them, but they were out picking mushrooms 
and they were out in the forest and they just stumbled upon these bodies and they actually found the bodies just a couple of hours before that letter made it to the state prosecutor's desk. Oh my gosh. And also, like, the thought, I don't know, this is just me, but like wild mushroom foraging, like what an Italian activity to do. But like, but still, the letter. This guy's bold. The letter is just very like, <laughs> but now we're going to talk about Catch the suspect. Me if you can. Yes. So it took until 1981 for the police to realize that these murders were connected and once police did a ballistics test and figured out the bullets were all coming from the same gun, that's where they kind of like put the pieces together. A reporter or a reporter named Mario Spezzi actually gave him the infamous nickname of Monster of Florence. Uh, they obviously arrested a few different people along the way, the husband of Barbara, and then the few different voyeurs that they caught. And these guys were not the monster that was doing this because most of the people while they were in jail, these crimes were still happening. Um, and like I said, there was some lovers of Barbara's that they thought could have done it, but basically the same pattern continued. They would arrest suspects, something would happen, whether it be another crime or just like the evidence didn't pan out, but they could just never seem to pin this on one person and that like on the one person that was actually doing it. And they even would take some of these people to court that they had arrested and the people would just end up being acquitted or not being charged or, you know, because they didn't have any evidence. And then the back and forth game, this back and forth game, it went on from the very first murder to the very last one. And there was a trial in 1994. And with this one, they really thought they had their guy. Police were able to link this man by using anonymous tips and computer analysis. And this man, this man was named Pietro Pachani. And Pietro had a very interesting past that made him kind of fit into the idea of what the police thought the murderer would be. Um, Pietro had been convicted of rape and domestic abuse of his two daughters and for murdering a man in 1951 who had been involved with his ex-girlfriend. And he did serve 13 years in prison for all of that. And they found evidence and things that were very similar to the in between the stuff that Pietro had done and then the initial murders. And the evidence that they had that was linking him to these murders was they found an unfired bullet that was the same brand of the one that was being used by the monster of Florence. And they actually found that bullet in his garden. So I guess it was like buried. Hmm. Um, they did end up convicting Pietro of the murders, but he filed for an appeal and the prosecutor of like the prosecutor was actually on his side. They were like, listen, you really don't have any evidence. What you do have is just a stretch. Like you should be in a, on an Olympic team for how well you're stretching to get this man to like, be, you know, serve this time for this and they finally didn't end up letting him go because they didn't have any evidence so they did end up ordering a new trial like the supreme court was like no 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 no. you're coming back here we're doing this again like we know you're the guy but pietro died in 1998 before they could even start the trial Ugh. but when pietro died they still proceeded with trial because pietro had two friends that they believed were his accomplices named Mario Vanni and Giancarlo Lotti. 
Pietro, during his trial, told them that these two were what he called picnic companions, and Giancarlo was actually used as a witness in the trial against Pietro, and he told them that he saw Pietro and Mario commit the 1985 murder, and then they continued to question him repeatedly, and the more that they questioned him, the more he he sort of just started to turn on his own self and, like, tell them what he had done. So Hmm. Giancarlo and Mario were both convicted and condemned to life imprisonment. But even though they were convicted, many of the murders still remained unsolved. And a lot of people were really just not sure that they had the right guy. So in 2001, the new chief inspector for police of the unit GIDS, which stands for Grupo Investigativo Delati Cariale, proud of myself that's a name yeah um announced that the crimes were related to a satanic cult that they believed were that was very active in the florence area and jim carlo apparently said in his testimony that a doctor had hired pietro to do the murders and collect the genitalia of the women for use in some type of ritual that he was doing and this kind of made sense because apparently where pietro worked at was near the place that like the cults would all be like practicing but they searched the area and they never found anything. So chances are he's probably just lying. And another theory is that a local pharmacist and a now dead physician had been involved in the secret society, but they exhumed the physician's body and then they put the pharmacist on trial. And eventually they just had to like let it go because they had nothing to tie them to the murders. So oh my gosh. This is where this gets the most interesting. This case, I swear to you, this is hands down the most interesting case I've ever covered or have ever listened to or at all. This is, oh, I love this. When I was looking for a case to cover, I was not looking for this one. I was going to cover the Zodiac Killer, but I was like, nope, we just did the, we just did one, didn't have a definite ending. I don't want to do that. And then look at here. Here I am. This one doesn't have a definite ending. And, you know, it really does sound very. But just wait because it gets better. So hold on. Because I know me and you, we talked a little bit earlier about it. I didn't tell Emily too many details. Yeah. Just wait. So after the servant girl case, I was like, no, we just did one where it was kind of like, oh, we think we we think we know who the guy was. So I was like, same kind of thing happened with Zodiac. Like they arrested someone, but no more murders happened. So we don't know if he was or wasn't it. But. Once I start researching this, I was like, okay, Lover's Lane, that happens, you know, with Zodiac. Then I was talking to my sister today, shout out Jerry, and I was telling her very vaguely just what the case was about, like I was telling Emily. And Jerry even said as a joke, like, dang, this kind of sounds like the Zodiac killer. And she literally said, maybe we never caught Zodiac, but he fled the country and went to Italy last month and it is that Antonio Banderas is going to star in a Italian uh like drama about this so basically later we're hopefully gonna have an update from collecting his dna hopefully but man like something i got to the bottom of the article and it was like yeah but the end of 2019 they collected his dna and i was like sweet and i just like kept tapping down and nothing else was coming i was like no no (laughs) keep going that's it that's it but oh my gosh again i'm just I ain't got no words. So 14 people in total were murdered by the monster of Florence. And so I want to know, I'm going to ask Emily, but all of you can answer too. 
do you think that this Zodiac connection is legitimate? I think it could be. I don't want to say yes, but like it really makes sense. Is Yo, this, Giuseppe. Because, you know, what I want to know is like this could be true or it could just be some kind of like copycat that was in Italy that saw what Zodiac was doing and was like, you know what? Like I can do the same thing here. And, you know, maybe it was a copycat. Maybe they did get the right guys when they got Pietro, Giancarlo, and Mario. Um, but I will tell you that before this, I genuinely thought that we here in the States had caught Zodiac. But after hearing this, I was like, oh, I don't know. I think I, I think I believe this theory because I just, I don't know. I just love it. It just all makes sense. The timeline adds up where like there was initially the discrepancy and the police, like, you know, they even said themselves, like, they very poorly stored the evidence with the 1968 case, the very first one. So it makes sense that he could have stumbled across that because there was such a gap. It was 1968 to 1974 before the next murders. Oh, my gosh. And he moved there in 1974. So he could have moved there, started doing whatever it was that he was doing looked through that evidence, saw that, and just took it as an opportunity to keep going. Emily's, like, holding her face, like, <laughs> in disbelief. <laughs> but, yeah, so we shout out We just don't have to, words again. Shout out to Jerry, because she started putting these puzzle pieces together, and I had no idea that at any point in that article it was going to even reference Zodiac. And I had started thinking to myself, too, like, it's so weird to me that I looked up Zodiac and Zodiac and this guy were actually listed. I found like an article that was just like super weird, like unsolved, whatever. And it was one where I found the servant girl one. And I was just like looking through there, seeing if anything sounded interesting. And I was like, ooh, Zodiac. And then I was like, ooh, not Zodiac. And then I just kept scrolling and I saw, you know, I just kept Googling like weird yada, yada, yada. And then this popped up and I was like, oh my God. And then I went back to that first article and this was on there because it's technically unsolved. It's solved, but it's not solved. And then yeah. I didn't even it didn't even say on there that Zodiac and this were any way possibly combined. Then I'm sitting there reading all of that, thinking, like, dang, this kind of sounds a lot like Zodiac. And man, I even started researching for the Zodiac killer. And then I was like, oh, I don't want to do this because it makes me mad when there's not an ending. This is so crazy. I know it's so weird and the, the I hope it comes out like I hope it I hope something comes from his DNA because like, also I did see that like super recently some teacher deciphered the like one note from Zodiac that they couldn't decipher but I didn't mm -hmm. I didn't reach much into it because I do want to cover Zodiac so I didn't want to like decide what, see what it said now and then it ruined something for like when we do eventually cover that but yeah that is the monster of Florence aka Wow, guys. Zodiac. We love that. Yeah, that one was... Ooh. I know, that was one of those I was like... That was fun. I didn't think it was going to end like that. I was like, what is this? And then it did. Leave us your opinions. What do you guys think? You know? Yeah. You can check You think out. it's connected? I think it is. Hmm. But yeah, you can let us know what you think on our Facebook. It is... DDD podcast or you could just go to facebook.com slash dark damn disturbed you can check us out on instagram it's dark damn disturbed podcast tiktok is dark damn disturbed pod our email is dark damn disturbed pod at gmail.com but yeah let us know what you think this one is this one's probably my most that was fun interesting one for sure for <laughs> sure wow all right guys well 
We will catch you guys in the next one. Bye. Bye.